welcome back to the Detours in Music podcast. My name is Laura Rupel, and today is our first returning guest. I interviewed Dr. Eric Rupel, who is also my dad, two years ago for season one, and he was at a detour point in his career serving in a role in administration and has now taken another turn and is back to teaching piano. I think listening to this episode really proves the point of the podcast that the journey is long and you never know what twists and turns might come up and to always take them as opportunities. I hope you enjoy. Hi, my name is Eric Rupel. I am a uh, professor of piano at James Madison University where I've been teaching for 34 years. How did you get your start in music? Well. I started in first grade because my first grade teacher thought I was a little hyper and needed a distraction. So she said, why don't you take piano lessons? But that's the reason why I started, but I had a pretty musically inclined parent, so they would have uh, had me starting it anyway within a year or so. But that was uh, kind of an early start, but that's, that's when it all happened, first grade. Would you recommend to people who have annoying children to put them in piano lessons? (laughs) I'm not going to say I was annoying, but um, it could work. Uh, I think I was kind of hyper and easily distracted, not just for that year, but probably for a few years after it. So I must have been a real joy to teach, but but, um, I was able to, you know, do what she wanted, the teacher. And uh, if, if parents are involved, and my mom sat with me and practiced with me just about every day through gosh, as I remember, maybe even through fifth or sixth grade, mm-hmm. which was not my idea of fun, but I am sure that I would not have been able to uh, progress in the right line uh, as I was able to if, if she hadn't been there to practice with me every day. Mm-hmm. Did you do any musical things outside of piano growing up? Not really. Um, I was in the elementary school I guess it was an orchestra of some kind for a little while and I uh, wanted to play piano on that but they stuck me on drum because they already had somebody to play piano and uh, but not no not not really anything else but that that was it and when did you realize that you wanted to do music past just a hobby well um, when we moved uh, to Arizona from California when I was in seventh grade I got a new teacher and that teacher was a really good teacher. So one of the the first really really strong teacher I had who had an idea about what it was uh, what was needed to go on past there. Mm-hmm. So I quickly just got really interested in it, and I remember it was a in that eighth grade ninth grade time period where um, I just decided I was really wanting to keep doing it. I didn't have an idea I was going to do it in college yet, but but that's when it became uh, something more than just, you know, surviving from one week to the next on lessons. And I started practicing, oh, up to a couple hours a day in maybe eighth grade, something like that, and, and trying to accomplish what she wanted. And then, and then when I got into high school, I started entering some competitions. And um, those were really fun. I think the first one that I really remember was um, a concerto competition, and that was in... Um, Texas, and so we all drove to Texas for this concerto competition from Tucson, Arizona, and just getting ready for that mm-hmm. was kind of taking it to another level. So, 
uh, again, I don't remember if that was freshman or sophomore year in high school, but after that, I started, that was kind of my reason for doing all these things was to get ready for these competitions. And, you know, then I started getting more into all the music and hearing a lot of music from the other students that I was very interested in. And um, that became, again, I wasn't thinking in terms of this is what I'm going to do for my career, but that's what I was really doing, spending a lot of time doing Mm -hmm. and had a lot of short-term goals with that. Mm -hmm. So maybe by the time you graduated high school, you were thinking, oh, this is what I've put a lot of energy in. Maybe this is what I should do for college. Well, probably when I was a junior, I started thinking that way. And I was practicing even more, probably, I don't know, three plus hours a day. Sometimes it was more um, than that, but that was, um, you know, in those days, we didn't have quite as many distractions as today. But anyway, so I'd practice quite a lot and learn some pretty big music. And um, yeah, by the time I was a senior, I, I was thinking that that's what I wanted to do. So um, it was, I would say, more or less a straight line um, from those lessons and just more and more high school work. And I, I entered more of the state competitions and did well in a couple things. And so... Um, I was getting good good feedback from that. So, um, yeah, it seemed like a logical step to do it in college. So where was your step for college? Well, I uh, applied to, uh, I believe I applied to two schools, and it was one was University of Arizona and one was Arizona State. But I went to University of Arizona, um, which allowed me to live at home, save money on that, I suppose. And um, I'd met both the teachers at the different schools. Um, so that's where I went for two years. However, after two years, my first real detour, I went, I decided that that was a mistake having gone to that school, University of Arizona, for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, a rocky relationship with a teacher um, and uh so I decided that I wanted to uh, change, and I ended up going with that other teacher at Arizona State. So that's where I went uh, after two years. And then you stayed there for your master's? I stayed there for four years, two years of master's, uh, two years finishing the uh, bachelor's degree, and then two years of master's. And it was all piano performance, so that part of it was a straight line. Mm-hmm. But the, um, you know, who the teacher was and all that was changed. What was something, looking back, that you were struggling with in your undergraduate degree besides teacher-student relationship? Or you can talk about how that well, was important. Well, that was difficult, um, the teacher-student. And I, think, I do think that, that for any student, that's the most important relationship you are going to have in college. So um, that's why I always encourage students to please go have a lesson with someone, get to know them a little bit, see if that's a relationship you think is going to work. Of course, you never know for sure, but it's it's the best you can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't really have the advantage of doing that, even though I could have, but I just didn't know that then. Or listen to their interview on the Detours or Music Or listen podcast. to the interviews on Detours and Music, mm-hmm. which I know many people have done. Yes. Uh, so anyway, I would say that, that that was made it for a rocky situation. Mm-hmm. The other thing, though, that I thought was important in retrospect is that I had never lived away from home mm-hmm. through that so, through that second year uh, of staying home. And for some reason, I thought that was something I should do, save money, you know, live at home. Mm-hmm. Um, but in retrospect, I think that was a, 
a big mistake. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think about a lot of mistakes, but that was one. I should have, <laughs> of course, who knows? It, it all worked out. But yeah. I, I really wish that I had um, um, gone away as a freshman mm-hmm. and uh, grown up in a lot of other ways that, you know, just had to be delayed because I was staying at home and not really um, dealing with college completely. Mm-hmm. So I'm very grateful for that change and um that that is really a an important one to to get away and maybe not the same for everybody but for me i should have done that earlier what was the transition like for you between your bachelor's and master's degree well the transition was not too big of a deal because mm-hmm. i'd only been at this uh arizona state for 2 years so it's very typical you stay with a teacher for the one that you're working with well for, um, I remember he said when I first came to him that I should stay with him for three to five years. So it just seemed very logical to stay there because mm-hmm. um, I'd only been with him for two years. Um, so that was an easy step. The strange thing though that happened was in my second year, before my second year, he suddenly left and got a job somewhere else at Cincinnati Conservatory. Okay. So that was between my the first and second year of my master's program that he just left and I decided to stay where I was at Arizona State but that fourth year or the second year of the master's was a really interesting year because I didn't I didn't really have a teacher that um, well let's say I I had a harpsichord teacher (laughs) who was a very good harpsichord teacher but he didn't really know the piano repertoire so much so Mm -hmm. I remember in that second year um, was a was a huge year because I started the year feeling sorry for myself, thinking, oh, I got to play this big program and mm-hmm. my teacher doesn't know this repertoire very well. But what it caused me to do was to um, reassess how I was getting feedback from people. So I I remember going out and buying a uh, a, um, a what they called a Sony Walkman or a a cassette recorder really high-end cassette recorder and I started recording myself and so to speak giving myself lessons Mm. and that changed everything once I started really listening to what I was doing and um, you know essentially giving myself lessons because I didn't know where to get the best feedback from anyways so I I got through both my master's recital during that same year Mm -hmm. and um, just sort of became independent in a way, in a certain way. I, I certainly needed lessons, but but I was feeling more confident about assessing my own progress. And um, I think it, it was, along with leaving home, probably one of the biggest, um, biggest things that happened was mm-hmm. between those two years. And then after that, uh, then I went to Cincinnati and I followed that teacher um, to, to Cincinnati Conservatory and stayed there two years and did an arts diploma with him there. And what was the artist diploma like compared to the more formal degrees? Um, It was not as structured. The coursework was not as structured at Cincinnati. However, uh, the big thing and one of the reasons I was glad I went there was that the other people there were terrific. Mm -hmm. They have a phenomenal program overall, um, but especially with vocalists and string players. And I had not done very much um, chamber music, very, very seriously, mm-hmm. until I went there and I was put with a trio and 
there was a cellist from Brazil and a violinist from France, and we were thrown together, and um, we had a, you know, just got a lot done working on a couple trios there. So that was terrific, and um, um, and I was able to just be around a lot of very serious um, um, musicians that I thought, at least in from my experience, was a lot more of a, a learning experience there than I had had before. So once again, the school atmosphere was very important. Mm -hmm. That change. I kept going. So for pianist, you're not done until you're really done. And so I I did a DMA. Um, at University of Michigan and um, once again I thought I was going to stay in Cincinnati <laughs> and just maybe switch to a different teacher there but um, I remember one day walking through campus thinking why do I want to stay here <laughs> yeah. I really want to move on so I just made the decision to go to Ann Arbor um, and not knowing anybody not really even knowing the teacher uh, but at the time, Leon Fleischer was on the on the faculty um, at Michigan, so that's what got me interested in the beginning. However, he was only there for a once every other week situation, as mm -hmm. many people know who've worked with him. You don't really study privately with him at all; you just play for him mm -hmm. on occasion. So I had a, a different teacher there, um, but um, once again, that ended up being a tremendously important decision um, for me, and and I had a you know, great time there, University of Michigan, um, working with different different teachers, a whole different crop of um, uh, fellow DMA students and other students who were really strong players, and uh, really made the contacts that were instrumental in um, in getting a job later on mm -hmm. too. And when you entered your DMA, were you thinking I'm going through this program so that I can become a college professor in the end? Well, um, I think that was probably partly in my mind, but not primarily. I think one of the things that um, I was pretty good at was to not look too far ahead and worry about that. I tended to just kind of look at the medium term, like I want to get this degree. I went, I did the degree mainly because I didn't feel like I was done mm -hmm. learning. So I, I went and I took some great classes and had a great time doing that. Um, without necessarily, again, thinking, okay, then I've got to get a job after it, mm -hmm. which I think when you enter a DMA program, it's pretty important to just be able to appreciate what you're doing at the moment instead of worrying about all the things you've got to do because it's a, it's a, it's a brutal degree. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it's a good degree, but it's hard work. Mm -hmm. Anybody who's been through DMA knows that. There are a lot of times when you may doubt yourself or doubt why you're doing it and so the 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 less you think about that the better mm -hmm. just kind of go through the the process this is a little switching topics but has the pandemic changed kind of your advice to your students on how they should perceive their careers or their futures hmm. well the pandemic has caused a lot of people to think about things uh, a little bit differently about what career options are there um, and um, I don't think anybody knows. Yeah. I like to think, though, that every time you run into a situation like with the pandemic has hit, it's important to be uh, to look at things as not just a um, a problem or a obstacle, but an opportunity. Mm -hmm. So um, 
I don't know what opportunities are going to emerge, but I think different kinds of jobs or just the fact that I think a lot of people are going to probably retire or get out of music entirely mm. um, because of the situation that we've been through. And it'll cause, uh, cause perhaps a lot of different job openings to mm -hmm. occur for other people. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like when there's a forest fire, you know, there's a lot of new shoots that can grow then. And so maybe, maybe there are opportunities that, that uh, might not have happened beforehand. So, so I don't really know. I do think that in recent years, and it's not because of the um, pandemic, but kind of, kind of at the same time, there's been a big emphasis on entrepreneurship, like doing podcasts or other things. And, and I think that um, the focus on not, not maybe being quite as linear as we used to be is, mm -hmm. uh, is a good one. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a big believer in, in uh, skills that are transferable. Mm -hmm. So for example, music majors uh, are usually really good at, at being um, independent, working and solving problems, um, taking criticism. These are all things that, uh, you know, working in groups or by yourself. Mm -hmm. um, these are all things that musicians know about. And if you spend any time around, uh, if a student spends any time around music schools, they hear these things all the time because mm -hmm. that's what, those are the skills that a lot of these businesses are looking for. Mm -hmm. So again, as this turns into an opportunity, I think that, um, the whole landscape of jobs is changing. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I feel this way about how music's gonna change, but I think a lot of people have no idea what, what the job market's gonna look like, even in five years, mm -hmm. not to mention in a career starting out now. So I think that, um, again, it doesn't even matter so much that you major in a certain area because you don't know if that's going to be where you end up but mm -hmm. but having these skills and really really working on transferable skills um, that can adapt to um, almost any situation I think that's more and more critical and honestly I think music majors have these kinds of skills mm -hmm. I think they they work on them and refine them and are have been tested mm -hmm. through college so I am more confident now that music majors have the ability to find their spot mm -hmm. in the world uh, I have maybe less confidence that it's going to be exactly what they think they thought it was going to be. Yeah. In other words, going right to teaching in college. I don't know if college positions, positions are going to be uh, as plentiful as they have been. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what colleges are going to do. Colleges don't know yet. Mm -hmm. But I do think that the skills that the students gain, at whether it's undergraduate or graduate, are going to be more and more important and make them more marketable in general. Okay. What made you decide that you wanted to do another interview? I decided to do this second interview because um, I did this with you two years ago. And um, at the time, I was in the midst of a pretty major change in mm -hmm. my, in my uh, own job at uh, James Madison. And that was I was working as uh, the interim director of the School of Music. And at that time... Um, I probably, I don't even remember, but I probably tailored my answers towards that, um, that job and how that had led me there, uh, which was a definite detour. Mm -hmm. And I think we probably spent a lot of time talking about that. Um, and I didn't know if I was going to be staying in that or coming back to piano, um, or what exactly the future held. 
So um, as it turned out, I'm back in piano, which is all good. And so I'm working on getting ready for some performances and, and uh, getting ready for the school year. So the, I thought that that would be more appropriate for anybody who's listening to this, uh, that, that, that it, might be, <laughs> it might sound a little strange if they're listening uh, to something with me that talks about something I'm not doing. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm back in the piano studio now, mm-hmm. so I thought it was a good idea to, to revisit the interview. It's also a good example of a detour that has changed twice with primarily teaching piano, going into administration and back to piano. And I know at James Madison, you're really pushing for people to have things like an interview in their bio for incoming students to see and listen to. And so for any students who would want to study with you, this is more accurate for you today. Yes, I think that I have heard there, I have known students who uh, spoke to me when I was in that other position who said that uh, before they came down to the audition, they listened to some of the interviews that you had given with other um, uh, on a different podcast with other teachers, and that told them a lot about um, the people mm-hmm. that they might be studying with. And along with what I said earlier, that it's important to get to know the teachers, I think this is a much better way to get to know me mm-hmm. um, or some things about me than uh, than just looking at some bio. Yeah. So, uh, and I have the feeling students are much happier to do this. Yeah. Much happier to listen to this. So, I hope so. yeah, I think it's a lot better way. Um. When you're approaching incoming students, what is some advice you have for them as they look at this world of music? Well, um, it depends in part as to what, where, how far along they are, mm-hmm. what age they are. I think that, um, like I said, I think there are more opportunities now that are varied uh, for music majors than there used to be. Um, we we have traditionally always had a bachelor of music, and we still just have a bachelor of music with different tracks you can take, like education or performance or music industry. But we're soon going to start something called a bachelor of arts, which will allow more students to participate in music um, who may not want to even commit to a music major, which is pretty intense. Um, so that's one thing I'd say that there there are more opportunities. Um, so depending on how much background students have, uh, first thing, of course, is do the best you can trying to um, get with a teacher um, right where you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, many people have good teachers, um, and but we're, we're running into more and more students who aren't studying with anybody, mm-hmm. and we always encourage them to, as soon as they can, get with a teacher. And we can help with that. Mm-hmm. So if there's anybody who... You know, doesn't have a teacher and doesn't know where to go. Just contact us, and we mm-hmm. can we can um, help you line you up with Correct. somebody in your area mm-hmm. who would be a good teacher. That's just so important because every month you're studying with somebody, you're going to get better. Mm-hmm. You're going to find out more, and you know, college is pretty difficult. Mm-hmm. Can be, and if you're if you're we we really work hard to help students um, where they are, but. It's if you if you come in with less of a background, then you have to work hard. You know you've got to work hard to kind of make that up as best as you can. So and piano has the unique, I would say, characteristic more than almost any other instrument that uh, you you have to have a lot of years behind you before you before you come to college. Mm-hmm. So it's not unusual for students to have um, studied for 
well, let's say... 14 years. <laughs> yeah, it could be that many, but I'm thinking more like at least six or eight. You know, that's not unusual at all. In fact, mm -hmm. it used to be almost required. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, we get people who have had less than that, but but you're going to get a lot more out of it the more you study. So mm -hmm. even if somebody were to talk to me and they're, you know, 13 years old, um, they want to get started with it, I'd say, well, get a teacher right now. Get a good teacher who can help you progress. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know... The years you study doesn't matter as much as um, what you're able to get done mm -hmm. those times. So um, everybody learns a little differently. And music study is not for everybody. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that's one thing that's very important mm -hmm. is to get with a teacher who who you know can get you to where you want to go. And that doesn't, you know, sometimes people study with their, um, you know, friend down the street. That's not always a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think most places now have good music organizations that can really help you get with the right teacher that'll push you enough um, to get you the as many of the skills as you can. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really big key mm -hmm. is the private lessons. And then, like I said, I think I think going and and taking a lesson with somebody at the college, whether it's here at James Madison or any other school, mm -hmm. just to go and and um, in person, uh, and that's better than Zoom, but go in person and play for them and have a lesson. I do that. We all do that um, regularly. Mm -hmm. And don't be afraid to ask for that. I think teachers are more than happy to give you that time. Mm -hmm. And they probably won't even charge you for the first time you come in. And, um, you know, just to, just to get that relationship started. I think mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a big deal. Yeah, I think it's, it's good advice um, regardless of where you are located to reach out to a university or that has a school of music about finding a teacher in your area because it is maybe harder for the teachers to market themselves or young teachers to market themselves than it is for you to find a teacher. Have you thought about what you would do if you could not do music? No music. Huh. No music at all? We can do or both. Or just playing piano? No playing piano or no and no music at all. Okay. Well, I've, I've always liked history pretty well. And um, I did have a time uh, during my doctoral program, it was almost a year where I really was unable to play, mm -hmm. unable to use my right hand. Um, so I had to think about a lot of things then. And um, one thought I had, well, I never really seriously thought about not being in music um, in some form. But I thought about alternatives to being in piano, and um, that included thinking about possibly music history or music theory. Mm -hmm. I, I like both of those subjects, um, which has been good because since then I've taught music history classes and music theory classes from time to time, mm -hmm. um, and I enjoy doing enjoy classroom teaching. So that's fun. Mm -hmm. um, so those are alternatives um, for that now. If you're saying about not music, then I think about I'm just once I once I got my doctorate, you know, there's no guarantee oh. of getting a teaching job. Mm -hmm. So um, then I was starting to think, what am I going to do for money? And again, kind of short term. Um, I remember it was July. I didn't have a job yet, and I'd gotten my doctorate a couple months earlier. And um, so I was thinking, well, I lived in Ann Arbor, which is the home of 
some people might remember Borders Bookshop. So I thought, well, I'll just go there and get a job for a while. <laughs> but I was thinking temporarily mm -hmm. for that. So uh, not in music, I'm not sure. But I, I probably would have ended up teaching mm. somehow. Okay. Hopefully college level, maybe, again, maybe something like... Film. Well, yeah, or, or history or something like that. I like those things. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Uh-huh. Would you say that going into administration was the largest career detour or a career focus change? Definitely, yeah. Definitely. Uh, there have been two times when I was asked to step in for a in an interim position um, as director of the School of Music. And at JMU, we have a large school of music, relatively speaking. We have over 400 students total and um, about 40 to 50 faculty full-time. So it's a large operation mm -hmm. and uh, so I did it um, about 10 years ago or so and did that for one year and that was pretty intense it's a huge learning curve um, but once again I, I do think some of the skills transfer over um, not enough skills about how to use a spreadsheet though so I had I was a little bit stuck on some things but um, it went well, and then um, I was very glad to get back to piano. And then when the second time happened, it was a little bit harder decision about whether to go back into um, piano or, or try to stay in administration, mm -hmm. whatever it was. And so I had a, a, a better time, I think, the second time around. That was for a year and a half. And um, it, it's a huge transition. There's nothing quite like it. But, mm -hmm. but I think um, I like helping people. I would, if I could help somebody with some issue they've got or solve a problem or find a space or come up with some money for something or a creative idea, I really enjoyed that a lot. Um, I definitely think this is being in, in the music making part of it is where I'm most comfortable. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm happy to be back doing that. But it was... Um, you know, there there's a lot of benefits both ways. A lot of um, a lot of pleasure you can get out of both. But yeah, it's a, it's definitely the big transition. It's huge. Mm -hmm. How would you define detour for your life? It's it is opportunities, and it's just about. Um, I would say my detours have sometimes just been not necessarily in changing my mind to do something different, but but just considering different options along the way. When you're in school, you really don't know what you're going to do or how that's going to work out. Um, and so I'm surprised when I look back and say I never really strayed from the single path mm -hmm. from high school student to today. I've always been doing pretty much the same thing. There were a couple major detours in the administration part of it. But in my mind, I had different ideas along mm -hmm. the way that I might do this and that, but those never happened. So I guess a detour was just keeping the possibilities open, but I never, um, I never really um, despaired over that too much. And so um, things worked out, even though I wasn't sure at the time. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we don't know the future, mm -hmm. but um, uh, I think it's important to kind of be able to think short term, always, even if you don't know the long term, be able to just say, okay, here's what I want to do now. Here's my goal for now this is what I'm going to get done, or this is what my goal for the semester. You know, in, in the college life, we can think in terms of semesters and years, 
um, which I don't know how people who work all the time think about things. Yeah. <laughs> it's just one long stretch. <laughs> but uh, we can think about it in terms of a certain year or mm -hmm. certain students we have or certain performances we got ready for, things like that. And um, so those are my, those have been my goals is to always think in shorter shorter bites that rather than long term. I don't I kind of strayed from your question okay. a little bit. <laughs> um, what brought you into the job at JMU? Um, well, like I said, after I graduated, I had nothing. And I remember um, it was middle of July or towards the end of July. And um, suddenly within the course of a week, um, I was uh, I had the opportunity to investigate three jobs, and I ended up getting three job offers. Um, but they were in the reverse order that I wanted the job. So I I was offered the first job, but I preferred the second job, and then so I gave up the first one, and then JMU was the third one, mm -hmm. and that was the one that was the best one. Mm -hmm. um, what happened was, um, and this often happens in the summer, somebody left. Um, very suddenly without mm -hmm. um, it wasn't planned but the year before so they left in the middle of the summer so uh, the the music department was um, stuck in a way they had a they had an opening and they didn't have time to fill it so they brought in people really quickly and um, I was offered a one-year position and I took it because that had the possibility of lasting more than one year. Mm -hmm. So I took it for the one year, applied for it after that, and got it for a, a, like a three-year period the second time. And then after that, uh, a couple people retired, turned into a, a full-time position, and that's what I applied for the third time. So I've actually applied for this job three times. And um, so that, that's how it happened. It was just the chance that that it could be mm -hmm. uh, more permanent. I had no idea that it would be, but it, of course it's turned into a, a very good job and mm -hmm. uh, been here forever. But um, it, at first it was just the quickest one. And what happened was as this job was open, the people on the faculty were asked to, you know, go to the, talk to their old teachers at their mm -hmm. old schools and um, see if they've got anybody who's ready for a job mm -hmm. right now. And so it happened that the, uh, one of the piano faculty who played organ primarily happened to be a student of uh, the same teacher that I had at University of Michigan. Mm -hmm. So he just wrote to him and said, do you have anybody there? And so he said, well, yeah, here's this guy. And uh, so one thing led to another and that's how I ended up there. Would you recommend to people to kind of jump at the opportunity for a job that seems better but isn't as long-term? Like, would you recommend doing a one-year position over another school or another offer? Well, college jobs are, the college system is a little bit hard to, to break into. Mm -hmm. um, so I have a, a number of doctoral students and I've always recommended that if they got an opportunity to get into some kind of a tenure track position, mm -hmm. um, to take it, even if it wasn't what their dream job is. Because once you get in there, mm -hmm. um, maybe, maybe it's not where you wanna be, but if you can do well for the first few years, then you can apply for something else. There's always movement, yeah. um, but it's it's harder to break in if you don't, you know, have that experience. It, people um, or colleges and universities are more inclined to look at people who've already 
had some experience in the job. So I think it's a, that's the best way to go, is to just get in somewhere, mm -hmm. um, even if it's at a really small school, mm -hmm. um, and just go from there. I think that's generally better. Um, I don't know uh, if that proves itself, but I have had some students who've gone on and done well with that and started somewhere and then and then moved on to other schools and it's 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 been a good way to go for them mm -hmm. what are your current goals maybe individually as a pianist or for your piano studio or jmu or for music in general hmm. uh, i'm hoping my number one goal is that this year is kind of a normal year <laughs> i hope that uh, classes are in person mm -hmm. Um, because I like seeing people's faces. Yeah. Uh, and I, uh, we did teach lessons in person last year, but, and that was with a mask, which is okay. But um, I hope that we're more in person than we've than we were before. That would be really great. So I hope that we we can do that. I hope we can have concerts um, on campus that that family and friends can go to. It was it's been very sad the last year and a half, and we've had to do most of this with a very limited amount of space or not at all. Mm -hmm. um, so with that hope, um, I hope to perform a few times this year. There's one, um, I don't have any solo, well, there's the List Society. Uh, I'm a member of the American List Society and there's a festival every year. And this year we're having that festival, we're planning on it and I'm supposed to play on that. It's in October and I'm hoping that that will happen. Um, we have a piano concert scheduled for January with all the piano faculty together, which will be interesting, putting four pianos on stage, but that's gonna be fun if we can, so we're, we're hoping we can do that. Mm -hmm. So that's, those are probably my goals. And for students, of course, um, I'm hoping that they can perform more, that we can um, have normal classes for them, normal ensembles, um, just like you want at Cincinnati to have normal ensembles and that the we can get a clear idea of uh, you know the direction of schools we hope that that master's programs graduate programs open up mm -hmm. for undergrad students and that doctoral students can get jobs so I guess we're hoping for more of normalcy would be a really good idea the other thing that I would say in answer to your question I think we have a great opportunity now to especially in the piano repertoire expand towards um, a lot of composers we've not ever really included in our repertoire. Mm -hmm. And I mean specifically newer music, uh, music by underrepresented compo excuse me, composers. Um, I've been spending a lot of time this summer listening to a lot of music I've never heard before. And I'm asking myself why I haven't heard that music before because mm -hmm. it's some really good stuff. And so I'm looking forward to um, having students discover that with me. I want all my students to play some music by uh, newer composers, at least a little bit, mm -hmm. even if it doesn't sound quite tonal. Yeah. Uh, I think that's okay too. And uh, so I think I'm looking forward to that sort of experience with, with students. And I think, I really think we're in a very important part in uh, time period music history where there's gonna be a whole new series of uh, kinds of music that's going to be uh, played in concerts besides mm -hmm. the old classics and I'm looking forward to that. 
so the quote is by Arnold Schoenberg. It says, if it is art, then it is not for all, and if it is for all, it is not art. Yeah, that's an interesting one, isn't it? It uh, sort of speaks to what I was talking about with repertoire, I think. Um, music, classical music, tends to be on the elitist side mm -hmm. of things. And so, and I am one who really likes very complicated or um, in some ways esoteric music that's hard to comprehend, like late Beethoven, for example, or, um, you know, standard music. I think the more you know that, the more you spend time with it, the better it gets mm -hmm. all the time. Um, but I do think we are at a point where um, that could be changing mm -hmm. in some ways. And so I think that, um, you know, we, we need to be open to different kinds of musical um, experiences, different backgrounds, different nationalities in the music. Um, I've always promoted, you know, if I had uh, students from, for example, Asian students, I, I think it's great if they can play something by a composer from their country. Mm -hmm. And we don't usually have a lot of that in piano. Um, we're, we have so much, um, you know, Euro European music. Um, I also think that American music is really important. I do think we have a natural affinity towards music of our own country, even if we don't understand it. Mm -hmm. um, course I support dissonant music in different forms I think it's just a matter of listening to it a lot but again it's it's that kind of music has not been for everybody so um, I, I wouldn't say that I agree with that quote for the future for mm -hmm. now but I understand it of mm -hmm. course and so I hope that we can we can find ways to communicate um, maybe a little bit easier and yeah. better in the future and I, I do think our this moment in history demands that we uh, communicate better. Mm -hmm. I, I heard of, or I read an interesting article in Time Magazine about two months ago. And the, the article was about how the whole um, upheaval of the last few years um, has caused a lot of um, change in the arts. And a lot of it was about the Black Lives Matter movement things like that and so I read that and about all the different arts that had all these ways that it was affecting the arts mm -hmm. how change was happening but in music didn't talk about classical music mm -hmm. it talked about lyrics only mm. in for example hip-hop music and I just thought it was interesting that when they talked about music mm -hmm. they We're actually even... didn't talk about music yeah they talked about language. They talked about the stories. Yeah. And so I was left with the idea that we still are at a point where there may be a big change mm -hmm. or open to new things, but nobody knows what that change is. Mm -hmm. It partly is the stories, mm -hmm. the words, uh, but music is about a lot more than just the words. It's yeah. about the structure and the, the sounds as they come together. And uh, I think that's what Schoenberg's talking about. Mm -hmm. It's about how sounds come together and um, whether they're immediately accessible. I don't know what the future is for music, but mm -hmm. I think performers, 
we're part of the answer to that because we choose what's going to be heard by choosing our music on programs mm -hmm. and we can help make a classic yeah. and i think you know we don't know what will happen in 50 years from now what'll be uh, remembered but uh, but we're the ones making those choices now so i'm excited about that mm -hmm. about helping to um find what our new values are for for music how how does music change in 2020 yeah yeah and i don't know the answer mm -hmm. but we need to start we need to start asking those questions mm -hmm. and finding music that we maybe we have neglected um, or we need to take a second look at. And so uh, that's an interesting quote to me because I think it's, kind because I directly fashion. don't think it speaks to today. Yeah. But it, it spoke to a time, but not for today. And I think maybe one solution to what you're saying could be um, like speaking to your audience about the piece, of course, before you play. Yes, communicating the, the the meaning of what's going on definitely. And in fact, I think that um, um, that program notes are dead, <laughs> mm -hmm. as are possibly comments from the stage. Okay. Uh, in some ways, I think that we're in a visual a, a visual era, mm -hmm. and I believe in. Um, I'm going to try to promote students finding visual ways, maybe on a screen mm -hmm. before the performance. Uh, to demonstrate, you know, with words, um, talk about this music, talk about the composer, talk about the relevant uh, information that will help the audience understand this new music. But I definitely think that aspect of communication is going to be a part of the concert. I'm not sure there are going to be that many old traditional concerts mm -hmm. anymore, but I do think they should involve uh, some new ways of looking at music. Yeah, I, I was really struck by this when I was looking at the Cincinnati Symphony schedule for mm -hmm. this year. All concerts had music by uh, either a living or, or uh, underrepresented composer. Yep. And I think it's inevitable that that's going to happen uh, all the way down to uh, the undergraduate level. Mm -hmm. And I think it needs to. I think it yeah. should. Because if they're changing the model from the top, mm -hmm. you know, if that's the model, then hopefully eventually. Yeah, and yeah. students need to know how to how to work with with composers and and learn about um, music and we during this process we'll we'll ask ourselves is this good music or is this maybe not such good music mm -hmm. is it worth uh performing putting hours in or is it not and i think there's a lot to discover so i'm i'm excited about it but it is interesting to see that quote because it's it's a whole different era where that comes from mm -hmm. but yeah i think we're we're on the verge of some new ways of, of working with, with music and concerts. I've enjoyed this process. I'm glad to see that the podcast is doing so well from its early days. Yes. Uh, it seems to be hitting, you know, nationally and, and internationally at some point. Mm -hmm. um, and I hope that um, more people continue to listen. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed hearing that update from Dr. Rupel. It is certainly special to me to have my dad's advice um, kind of locked down on a podcast form that I can play back for the future. And big thanks to him for a lot of the stuff that I've been able to accomplish. And he also helped come up with the name for the podcast. So it's really all thanks to him. If you'd like to keep up with the podcast, there are multiple ways you can do so. First of all, you can go to our website, which is detoursinmusicpodcast.weebly.com. You could also subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Detours and Music Podcast. We also have a Facebook page and Instagram account where you can like and follow us. 
The Detours in Music podcast is available everywhere that you listen to podcasts, but on Apple Music podcast apps, you can subscribe and rate us. If you ever want to get in touch with me and give more direct feedback, you can email me at detoursinmusicpodcast at gmail.com. As always, thank you for listening, and I hope you catch the next one.